Welcome to Financial Crime Matters with Kieran Beer. I'm Kieran Beer, Chief Analyst and Director of Editorial Content for ACAMS, the world's largest membership organization for AML CFT professionals. In this episode of Financial Crime Matters, I talk with Barry McKillop, Deputy Director Intelligence for FinTrack, the Financial Transactions Analysis Center of Canada, and Stuart Davis, Executive Vice President, Global Head, Financial Crimes Risk Management at Scotiabank. Barry, Stuart, and I talk about Project Shadow, Canada's fifth public-private partnership, this one addressing the online sexual exploitation of children. I hope you'll get a lot from this podcast, and you'll subscribe to the series either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Here we go. Well, it is a real pleasure for me to be here with Barry McKillop, Deputy Director of Intelligence at FinTrack, the Financial Tractions Analysis Center of Canada, and Stuart Davis, the Executive Vice President, Global Head of Financial Crimes Risk Management at Scotiabank. And I'm particularly excited to be here because uh, we're going to talk about Project Shadow, which is the fifth in a series of public-private partnerships that have launched in Canada. They have involved lots of people, very significantly, Barry and Stuart. And I'm just going to start out, uh, and maybe I'll start with you, Stuart. Why this Project Shadow? How did this come about? Well, thank you for having me, Karen, this morning. Project Shadow came about because we have had, as as many are aware, a series of successful public-private partnerships in Canada. And we really just saw an area that was being underserved, and that's the online child sexual exploitation. Through uh, various connections and opportunities I've had to speak over the past few years, I really got inspired to make a difference in the space. And it's an area that was, in my view, being underreported and under-investigated in Canada and globally. And so let's describe, maybe Barry, you want to say a little bit, uh, let's describe what is Project Shadow going to do? It, it really wants to tackle the online sexual exploitation of children. What are some of the parameters that went into creating it? Thank you, first of all, Karen, for having us this morning. This is great. It really was, as Stuart said, it was a, a discussion that Stuart and I actually were having about looking at different ways of protecting some of the most vulnerable victims in society and whether or not we could actually use, a little like Project Protect, is there a way of using financial intelligence to assist law enforcement in combating this type of crime? And when we started to look at it and test some of the indicators that we had, we found that we did in fact have and were able to identify a number of financial indicators that uh, when taken together in context with the the know your client type approach really allowed us to identify potential perpetrators of this type of crime, whether they're hosting, whether they're distributing or whether they're consuming. And the goal was really to look at how we could bring law enforcement, financial intelligence and the private sector who are providing these types of reports together to combat a crime and to use an approach that was perhaps underutilized or not utilized at all in the past in terms of how to approach and address this type of crime. And maybe it's important to just call out a little bit. Uh, First of all, you mentioned Project Protect, which was the first of these five from 2016, and that particularly addressed human trafficking. That involved people that were involved in reaching out, providing services to people that have been trafficked. Stuart, you were at BMO at the time, and I think you were part of that in FinTrack. And then you've also called in, with all of these partnerships, a number of people in the financial community in the Toronto and, and throughout Canada. It's FinTrack, it's Scotiabank, and then there's the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. What I'm not getting the name right. 
No, that's correct. It is the Canadian Centre for Child Protection. Uh, they're the basically they act as the tip line in Canada for child sexual exploitation. They've been around for uh, quite some time, and we have a very strong partnership developed over the years with uh, Signe Arneson and Leanna McDonald, who run that centre. And they have a real and, and true deep expertise in identifying not only the images and identifying and saving victims, but also identifying some of the where it's hosted. They have a project Arachnid, which really scours the internet for these types of images and helps identify them. And uh, they were a real key source of information and intelligence for us in terms of identifying some of the transactions, some of the behaviors that we would see with some of these perpetrators. And they were of great assistance along with the RCMP in really making the operations alert something that's useful and actionable for uh, financial intelligence and for the financial institutions. Yeah, and I think very important to mention the RCMP and law enforcement, their component in this. You've put together a number of these now. What have you learned maybe that makes Project Shadow even more targeted, adept at going after this kind of online exploitation of children? You're right. We modeled this one after uh, the previous public-private partnerships, Project Protect, Project Chameleon. Project Guardian, Project Athena, all of these, you know, I think as we do another iteration, we get faster, we get more focused, we have the lessons learned from the past. Uh, you know, it's really about the speed by which this one came together. It came together in over, uh, in just uh, a little bit over a year. It's especially important, I think, given the fact that we were all facing the pandemic this past year. But we did have some kickoff meetings uh, just prior to the pandemic uh, with our banking peers, the MSB peers, the whole industry saying who needs to be involved, who can help uh, create the context by which uh, you know we can create an awareness around this first and foremost, but also then ultimately leading to the typologies and the operational alert. So I think we've come to find a model that works well within Canada and appropriately within the rules of the regulatory regime that allows us to mainly focus on typologies and build up from there to get these uh, types of public-private partnerships launched. Well, that raises a, a number of questions, and uh, including I want to come back to typologies in a minute. But first, um, it, it's probably this is this is something that's pretty shocking to people. Uh, how big a problem is sexual exploitation of children online in Canada and globally? I don't know that I can speak to the amount. I think that any time that there's one child that's victimized, I think it's a big problem personally. But yes, I think we've seen globally, there's been a, a fair bit of coverage, uh, particularly throughout the COVID period, because the number of children that were online and the amount of time spent online and the fact that these perpetrators and uh, these offenders tend to take advantage of that. So globally, I've seen reports that have suggested that there's been an increase uh, during the COVID period. It's always, unfortunately, a crime that's been around for quite some time and continues, but there were perhaps greater opportunities, and certainly with technology the way it is, the opportunities certainly don't lack throughout the world. Globally, I don't think that Canada is any worse or any better off necessarily than anyone else. I think it's a global phenomenon. It's a global crime. What we're seeing throughout the last year is certainly with Project Shadow and other international efforts, we've seen an increase in awareness. And the more you talk about it, then the more people are aware, the more people are looking to see what role they can actually play in helping to alleviate these types of crimes. Stuart, you want to add anything about the scope? 
There have been some studies, absolutely, uh, that point to, you know, 45% uptick in reported instances. Uh, I think there was one out of the UK this past year, and uh, I don't think Canada is any different. But in my mind, this is a global this is a global crisis that we need to raise the flag on and shine the light on. And that's really what's what's driving it because it's it hasn't gone away. It hasn't diminished. It's only by uh, firms getting not just the banking sector, but many, many types of firms, including technology companies, uh, getting more proactive in this space. Human trafficking has this cross-border element, but this really has a big cross-border element in which people often don't even, you know, move from country to country in terms of exporting of this child exploitation material. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you address some of the particular movement of this material across and, and funds across borders. That's a great question. I mean, you, you got to think about it in, in uh, back to the points Barry was making. You've got producers of material, you have consumers of material, and then you, you have the people that are victimized. You know, the producers of the material, once that material is produced, it can move anywhere in the world. And that I think that's the challenge we face. So, you know, if we're looking at the production you're, of the material, you're going to see a lot more cross-border activity. But when you look at the consumption of the material, a lot of the groups that share this type of CSAM, which stands for child uh, sexual abuse material, they operate within, you know, domestic rings uh, in many situations, but they can also be international rings, but they pass this material around. So the movement of the material, once it's been produced, usually has a bit of a different operating model than that of the initial payment flows. So when you look at the, the context of payment flows, uh, you may see aspects of international, and then you may see aspects of domestic, both of which can point to uh, the actual uh, offense. One of the great things, I think, that there's a whole bunch of typologies, and I encourage people to find those. There's the uh, article that was done by uh, your colleague, uh, Joseph uh, Mari, in um, ACAMS Today. And you've kind of been able to segment sort of who's in the this awful food chain of this kind of abuse of children and identify them. And you talked about like looking for certain expenses associated with the production of online video and that kind of thing. Anything else you want to add that's a great shout out to financial institutions as they look at accounts and look for activity that might suggest this kind of behavior? Well, I think the, the consumption patterns yield themselves to some, some very interesting typologies. Typically, you know, it's uh, late evenings on Fridays and transactions often involving uh, small but repeat money movements around the beginning of hours uh, to uh, foreign countries, such as those in the Philippines and, and other countries. Uh, so that's a you know particular dynamic. But I, I think the broader point is you've got to look at the whole context of red flags, payments and money movements, just one part, but where, when, how are these transactions being made in context with negative news or uh, indications in the media that might suggest that a particular group of individuals, individual or and or organization could be involved in the material of this sort. So that's what we've tried to do with Project Shadow is create a framework through the typologies that, that point to factors to consider but the whole thing needs to be taken in context. And once you have that right context, then it's appropriate to uh, let FinTrack know this potentially does involve a criminal activity. And, and that's our obligation as banks to report suspected criminal activity. And Barry, what does Project Protect really call in particular on FinTrack to do? I mean, I know there's a new code that relates to this crime and the finances associated with it. What's FinTrack? 
Absolutely. We, uh, we ask the financial institutions when they're sending in their STRs, their suspicious transaction reports, which are the equivalent to suspicious activity reports in the U.S., for example, is to flag them as with a hashtag shadow or hashtag project shadow. And that allows us, that facilitates our identification here of the STRs. And what it allows us to do is take one STR, for example, and then look at the other 260 million transactions we have in our database and see if there are other transactions that are related that we can look at developing a network, identifying a network that may be involved in this type of crime, and then to forward those as actionable disclosures to our law enforcement. And uh, at this point, we're particularly sending them to the RCMP. They have their national coordination center and they help coordinate uh, the distribution of these across the country to the various ICE units uh, and to do joint investigations. As you said earlier, it is a global crime and a lot of the times what we'll see is the international flows as well. And the RCMP is particularly adept at uh, working internationally with some of their colleagues in the world to address some of these crimes. And that's really what we're looking for. We, it also allows us to query and to share that the financial intelligence with our partners internationally. We have MOUs with uh, over 190, almost 200 financial intelligence units internationally, and we can share the information with them, both as a spontaneous type disclosure, but also as a query to see what other financial intelligence they may have that they can share with us that we can then pass on to law enforcement as well. So it really is starting to be uh, definitely an international uh, effort and we're promoting that. We're working with certainly our five IPS partners as well as any others that want to use our indicators, build on our indicators and develop similar topologies that may be more reflective of their local circumstances, but it's certainly a good base from which they can build. Five Eyes Partners being just for anybody who doesn't know, and I think probably most people certainly in our audience do, Canada, the U.S., U.K., Australia, and New Zealand. Did I miss anybody there? No, that's correct. Stuart, what is it that you're asking to your fellow financial institution to do as a result of Project Shadow? Well, I think first and foremost, we're all partners in this. You know, we're all looking to do our part in making society better. But more importantly, you know, we have an obligation to report money laundering as a federal regulatory item. So as we work with banks, you know, our, our focus, I guess, is two or threefold. The first, we want to collaborate on this topic and identify how we can all be better at identifying uh, online child sexual exploitation funding moving through our organizations. Uh, I don't think anybody wants that moving through the organization. The second thing we do is we collaborate really around cases that have been identified and see if we can improve the typologies from that. And then the third layer is really, uh, again, it's, it's continuing to build and expand the public-private partnerships and the success of those in Canada through that engagement with not only uh, FinTrack, but the RCMP, uh, these NGOs, many of us uh, who all share the common goals. And then finally, it's, it's driving that awareness because again, this is not just something going on in Canada. This is a global problem. And I think that's my personal passion is, you know, how can we stem the tide of this globally? How do we bridge it out to other organizations that might not be involved, share this actionable intelligence and, and help them to achieve similar outcomes in, in stopping the progress of this nefarious crime? Well, we're running out of time, so I'm going to put you both on the spot to kind of think big picture. I, you know, there's that expression, think local, act global, or think global and act locally. And uh, I'm aware of the fact that Project Protect 
the initial uh, anti-human trafficking effort came out of a conference in which uh, Tamiya Nagy said, you know, help, and the financial community responded. So I don't know if you have any final thoughts about Barry, perhaps from the perspective of someone who's part of the network of FIUs and Stuart from some, and both of you being involved in communities, what do people need to do hearing this today? How can we prod people to be thinking about this problem and, you know, acting both globally and locally? As you said, I mean, it is a global problem, but those that are committing these crimes are local somewhere. And I think this really is um, a recognition that individuals can make a difference. It doesn't take a lot to start one of these. I think it is very much a call to action, really, in terms of a starting the conversation, having the FIUs around the world work with their financial institutions, work with their law enforcement, really come together to try to address this crime. I mean, it's really all about the human aspect here. I mean, when we look at human trafficking, when we look at our projects on fentanyl, our projects on underground banking, our projects on, you know, not only the human trafficking side, but also the victims and how we help them afterwards, which was also a spin-off of Project Protect. These are all societal issues that affect us as humans, regardless of our role, whether you're a regulator, a law enforcement, a citizen, a financial institution. It really is a focus on helping some of our most vulnerable people in society. And I think that we all have a role to play in that. And I think it's identifying what that role is, playing the role to the best of your ability and working together to address this and realizing that it's not just the responsibility of one facet of society being police, for example, to address this issue. We all have to come together to address this issue. I would absolutely echo what Barry just said. We often tend to think, well, somebody else is working on this or solving this problem. But when you start looking into this area, it's amazing uh, how much an individual's engagement can make uh, as we all come together around the community, the banking community, the non-banking community. So I encourage people just to get started, take a look and figure out how they can make a difference, how they contribute. I would also say that uh, sometimes people tend to overgeneralize, oh, it's just another typology report, but, and oh, that doesn't happen here. But when you really dig into these things, they do happen. And they do need to be addressed. And I, I think our call is, is humankind to help make a difference in, a, in an incredibly important area and, and shine the light on this heinous crime. Well, congratulations on what you have accomplished. And I say that again, we talked about, obviously this is a never ending battle, but congratulations on Project Shadow, the fifth of these public-private partnerships that have been launched in Canada. And it's just a pleasure Thank you, Barry McKillop, Deputy Director Intelligence for FinTrack, and Stuart Davis, Executive Vice President and Global Head of Financial Crimes Risk Management at Scotiabank. Really appreciate having you. Thanks. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Barry McKillop of FinTrack and Stuart Davis, Executive Vice President, Global Head of Financial Crimes Risk Management at Scotiabank. I hope that you found what you heard to be informative and will subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud so that you'll be able to receive an alert for each new podcast. Because financial crime matters to me and to you. See you next time.